Welcome to LPP, the Legal Privilege Podcast by Herbert Smith Freehills, where we're unpacking the tricky concept of legal professional privilege and applying some key privilege principles to practical scenarios. I'm Kate Meekle, an Executive Counsel in the Disputes Practice at HSF with a focus on financial services regulation and investigations. I've worked on a number of large-scale investigations and commissions of inquiry where complex questions around privilege always seem to arise. And I'm Andrew Eastwood, a partner in the Disputes Group at HSF, who specialises in contentious regulatory matters, particularly those involving ASIC, APRA, the ACCC and the police. And I have a keen interest in all issues relating to privilege. And I'm Danny Bryars. I'm an executive counsel in the disputes team at Herbert Smith Freehills. I specialise in contentious banking and regulatory cases, and like the others, have encountered many thorny privilege issues over the years in my career. In episode one, our colleagues gave a refresher on some of the key principles in legal professional privilege, and also introduced us to our in-house lawyer who was dealing with a challenging scenario around a whistleblower complaint. In this episode, we're going to look at what types of activities and documents created in an investigation might attract a claim for legal professional privilege. We'll also revisit our in-house counsel scenario to see how that case is developing. So, Andrew, if we could start with the investigation phase, what are some of the first things in-house counsel should consider when starting to gather documents and other information? Well, Kate, after considering some of the issues that were discussed in episode one, such as working out how the investigation is going to be structured, one of the first things the in-house lawyer might think about doing is gathering documents and information. Now, Australian courts have given a broad approach to what constitutes legal advice. They've said that it would be unduly narrow to separate factual investigations by lawyers from legal advice given as a result of those investigations. And so, at least in the Australian context, so long as the dominant purpose for gathering the material is to provide legal advice or advise on anticipated legal proceedings, inquiries for documents and information are likely to be privileged. But of course, just because a document has been provided to a lawyer as part of an investigation, it doesn't make other copies of that document privileged. The copy of the document sent to the lawyer might attract a claim for privilege, but other versions of that document circulated for reasons other than obtaining legal advice won't be. Well, one thing to consider when gathering documents and information from employees is whether to have them confirm in writing that they understand the inquiries are confidential. This isn't always necessary, but it is likely to bolster any claim for privilege by demonstrating you intended to keep the communications confidential from the start. And Andrew, if we think about that in the context of our case study, what approach or tricks would you think about before you're starting work on that case study? I think this case is one of those scenarios where you would want to ask the employees to confirm they understand that the, the strictly confidential nature of the inquiry is being made. And I, and I say that for a couple of reasons. When you think about our scenario, we've got a situation of operations of the company in both the Australia, in Australia and the UK. 
And because the UK takes a somewhat different approach to this question of who is the client and confidentiality and the like, I think emphasising confidentiality is important in that context. The other reason why I think you should take that step is just the nature of what's being investigated here is quite serious. It's, it, it's serious fraud. Danny, another step that our um, in-house lawyer is likely to consider, in addition to obtaining documents, is is whether to interview um, key employees. Um, can you explain why, Danny? Well, Andrew, often in an investigation, there will be a need to interview employees, whether you call it an interview or a meeting or a workshop, which might differ depending on the type of investigation. Um, but the purpose is to gather facts that can't just be ascertained from you know, reviewing documents. Sometimes meetings with employees are needed even just to find out where the documents might live and go out and gather them for the investigation. Um, questions that can come up when conducting these interviews include, first of all, who should conduct the interview? Now, sometimes this might be a lawyer, um, and sometimes that wouldn't make sense in light of the type of investigation. For example, I've seen investigations where an external consultant is doing the fact-finding and analysis um, and needs to interview subject matter experts within the organisation. Now, the key point here is that who conducts the interview is not determinative of whether privilege exists in the communications that occur in that interview. Now, in Australia, privilege can extend to communications with a third party. So, for example, that external consultant, if the dominant purpose of those communications is to allow the organisation to receive legal advice from a lawyer. So the real question in the consultant scenario is whether the fact finding that the consultant is doing in the interview is for that dominant purpose. Um, if it is for the purpose of then enabling lawyers to give legal advice, then you may have privilege in those communications. Um, often it might be the case that lawyers might join in such meetings if that is the dominant purpose, but the fact that they are at the meetings is not determinative of privilege. Another important factor when having interviews with witnesses is that confidentiality, of course, as we've said in earlier episodes, is the cornerstone of privilege. So it's good to have a look at the attendees lists for such interviews and make sure it's kept as confined as is practical given the purpose of the interview, because that can assist down the track when you need to show that the um, communications were privileged. So once the attendees are confirmed for in those interviews, I guess the next step to consider, Kate, would be how to record um, those interviews. Do you have any tips in that area? Yeah, thanks, Danny. I mean, I think that's a really important point that you've raised um, because often, as you say, you'll have a number of people in the interview and um, different people may want to take notes or sometimes there might be a suggestion that those interviews should be uh, recorded. And it's really important to think about this um, from a privileged perspective before the interviews start. Um, if a lawyer is actually in the interview, it might be that the lawyer or the member of the legal team is the person who is taking the notes. And if that happens, then obviously it's much easier down the track to um, show that the dominant purpose of the interview and, and taking the notes was um, for a legal purpose. Things get slightly trickier where there are a number of people in the meeting and um, a number of people taking notes. 
And I think something that we've all seen um, in these types of scenarios is that you might have someone there from audit, audit or compliance who is also um, taking part in the investigation process. And those types of attendees might also want to take their own notes. And I guess the main thing that um, always needs to be kept in mind is um, the dominant purpose of any of the documents that have been created. And so it might be um, okay for non-lawyers to take notes, as you've sort of referenced, um, Danny, in the setting up of the interview, but the, the reason they're taking the notes becomes the important thing. And the reason that the test will always be was the dominant purpose um, for the purpose of obtaining legal advice. So if, for example, we take our member um, or person in the interview as the member of the compliance team, if they're taking a note and then using that material for purposes related to their own compliance reporting, it might become harder down the track to demonstrate that their version of the interview note satisfies the dominant purpose test. And another matter that needs to be considered is the type of note that's being taken. So if the note of the interview is taken as a transcript style note, it's unlikely to affect the position on privilege in Australia, given that the factual inquiries underlying the advice are also um, likely covered as Andrew's mentioned. But in a jurisdiction like the UK, while the courts do protect some lawyers working papers, it is required that those papers reveal the trend of the legal advice. And so if a record only discloses the lines of inquiries, then it might not be sufficient to protect those or to um, to provide or to protect the notes um, from a privileged perspective. And so I guess the point there is just to keep in mind whenever you are conducting these interviews, what jurisdiction you're working in and um, what laws are likely to apply to that process before you start. Yeah, that's right, Kate. So something that I've experienced when I've been involved in these kinds of interviews is that the, the employee sometimes requests uh, a copy of, of the notes of the interview. What, what would you suggest uh, in, in that kind of scenario? So I think, Andrew, that we'd probably all agree that um, to the extent the notes can be or the circulation of the notes can be um, kept to a smaller group, that is always um, the optimal outcome. And if the employee is requesting a copy of the note and they don't um, need it for any particular purpose, it's probably something that you wouldn't offer up voluntarily. Um, the other thing to keep in mind is whether the, the interviewee has a common interest with the company who's conducting the investigation. And so if they didn't have a common interest, then that might give rise to the risk of a waiver of privilege. And it also increases the risks of leaks of the information disseminating outside of the company, which is probably something else that is going to be top of mind for anyone who's involved. You generally only want to share it really um, on strict terms of confidentiality, if at all. And on a, on a practical basis, if a record was purely a transcript without any commentary from lawyers or advice, then you might find it harder to justify withholding the transcript. But of course, it's always going to turn on the facts of, and circumstances of your particular case. 
Danny, from that perspective, the next thing to think about is what might be done with some of the artefacts from your investigation. So you, if you've gone out and gathered documents and spoken to people, often in-house lawyers then need to take some further steps to progress the investigation. And there might be some privilege questions that surround those steps. So can you tell us anything about that? That's right. After interviews are completed, there are going to probably be further documents created beyond simply the record of the interview. So you might move into a factual analysis stage. Um, you might be preparing chronologies. Um, some documents might be a hybrid of factual um, and legal analysis. Um, and so it gives rise to further issues when considering are those, are those items privileged and how do we establish and show that they are privileged if that's the case. Um, there are some steps that can be taken to make the dominant purpose more clear um, so that if privilege does apply, that can be seen more readily down the track if you're asked to produce documents. These might include in an appropriate case uh, heading, for example, that the document is, is privileged and confidential and for the purpose of legal advice. But headings are not decisive. And the last thing you want is for everyone involved in the investigation to be applying that heading indiscriminately when the communication that sits under it is not, in fact, privileged. Um, so I would say probably an even better tip is to try to clearly document in your communications um, the nexus between the factual analysis that's occurring, for example, and the legal advice that it is for the purpose of. If that can actually be conveyed in a more substantive way than simply a heading saying this is privilege, that's going to be far more effective down the track. Um, it's probably also useful to be prudent generally in the investigation about how many artefacts are being created. Um, and it, it might be useful to have a protocol in place, for example, about how the creation of artefacts um, and exchange of those um, between people involved should be managed in the investigation. Sometimes at this stage and later on, boards and senior management will ask to be kept abreast of how the investigation is going or given an update of um, findings, including legal findings. Um, Andrew, have you seen this much in practice and how do you think in-house counsel um, should respond to those sorts of requests? You're, you're absolutely right. Danny, I've seen that a lot uh, where you, you receive requests, whether it's from the board or for some senior management committee for a, a written update as to how the investigation's going. And of course, at some level, that's understandable. It's, it's, it's good governance. It does create some issues, though, that you need to think about from a privileged perspective. The issue here is really not so much one of maintaining confidentiality, but really purpose. What is the purpose of the creation of these written progress updates? Is it for the purpose of providing legal advice or advice in relation to anticipated litigation? Uh, if it's not, and the, these updates are really more commercial or factual in nature, then clearly maintaining a claim of privilege over those update reports is going to be more difficult. Uh, the issue is going to be compounded if the materials are then used by the board or senior management for subsequent non-privileged purposes, which again might be completely understandable, things like reviewing root causes or identifying solutions so as to prevent future issues. Because the, the problem with this sort of latter type of review 
in protecting privilege is that arguably the dominant purpose of such review is not a legal one. So, Danny, I mean, if if these kinds of update reports are provided, uh, are there any protective measures that one can seek to put in place to try and at least minimise the risk of waiver? Absolutely, Andrew. And as disputes practitioners, we often see this at the other end when we're reviewing documents. They've been asked to be produced to a regulator, for example, and we're having to see, well, is this minute from the board meeting privileged or is this board paper privileged? So there are a few tips we can share probably from that experience. Um, one is that creating standalone documents for this reporting to senior management is often useful so that you don't get blurred lines between privileged and non-privileged purposes. Um, keeping documents as brief as, as is necessary, um, including minutes, for example, um, which is typically the case with minutes. They can be quite brief, but um, certainly um, not, not disclosing the legal advice more than is necessary for the purpose of the communication. Um, marking documents or sections within your minutes as privileged, if, if indeed there is privileged content within those sections. Um, if, if information is being provided to senior management, um, if it, it will only be privileged if it is in the, the nature of legal advice or communications for the purpose of obtaining legal advice. So if that's the case, then make it clear in the communication that that is the case. Um, and finally, potentially avoid cross-referencing too much to other material because, again, when someone is analysing those words down the track, it can be hard to figure out what is privileged and what is not um, and, and decide what needs to be protected. Thanks so much, Danny and Andrew. There were some really great practical tips in there. And that brings us to the end of this episode of Preserving Privilege Through an Investigation. The next episode will explore how privilege will be waived and dealings that you might have with regulators on these types of issues. So you might also like to check out our free online LPP hub on our website at hsf.com and the link is in the show notes. Thanks so much for listening.